When I retired, with lots of newfound available time, I enjoyed many travel opportunities. This podcast may encourage you to visit, revisit, or experience virtual armchair travel, learning about exciting new venues. Travel is an excellent vehicle for lifelong learning. Welcome to the What Travel Writers Say podcast. I'm Mike Keenan, your host, and today we visit Brussels, the capital of Belgium. Waffles, chocolates, and beer. What's not to like about Brussels? Belgium's capital, and that also of the European Union, with myriad international organizations, politicians, diplomats, and civil servants, is a prime target for tourists, and amidst its stunning architecture, spacious squares, and narrow streets, we experienced an unruffled, charming atmosphere, enhanced by a seemingly endless supply of tasty waffles dripping with strawberry syrup and whipped cream, delicious chocolates, and bountiful bottles of beer. A compelling threesome. Upon arrival, I took compulsory pictures of the Atomium, a combination of atom and aluminum, named by CNN as Europe's most bizarre building, constructed for the 1958 Brussels World Fair. A museum, it stands 102 meters tall, with nine 18-meter diameter stainless steel-clad spheres connected to form an iron crystal shape. The top sphere includes a restaurant with a panoramic view of Brussels. Also unusual is the infamous mannequin Piths, known as Little Julian, a popular public sculpture dating back to 1618, depicting a naked boy urinating into a fountain's basin. People delight in stealing this figure, so the original is kept safe at the Maison du Roi on the Grand Place. Several legends explain its origin, but my favorite is that of a youngster awoken by a fire, able to douse it with his urine, thus preventing the king's castle from destruction. I like this version because it was our preferred technique to douse campfires at night when we camped. The statue is dressed up weekly, and its wardrobe consists of hundreds of costumes. Its ubiquitous likeness used to sell everything from waffles to bottle openers to Belgian lace. The Grand Place, or Grote Market, laden with statues and gold filigree decorations that crown roof lines, is a splendid central square that Victor Hugo once described as the most beautiful square in the world, surrounded by Baroque-styled opulent guild halls and including two larger edifices, the city's Gothic town hall, built in the early 15th century, replete with intricate statuary, and the Maison du Roi, which contains the Museum of the City of Brussels. At 68 by 110 meters, the square is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, filled with tourists gawking at its superb architecture with elaborate detail, students sitting on cobblestones, and many tourists seated at outdoor cafes. Neighboring streets reflect area origins named after vendors of butter, cheese, herring, coal, and such. From the square, a short walk takes us to the crown jewel of shopping arcades, the elegant Royal St. Hubert Galleries, a glazed shopping arcade built in 1847, 
featuring high-end shops on the ground level and residences above. Many of its inviting windows feature exquisite-looking chocolate treats, and one is mesmerized by the enticing atmosphere which features classical friezes and marble columns as soft light streams through the glass roof and luxury retailers feature stylish collections of jewelry, leather goods, and clothes. Tree-lined streets feature a vibrant cafe culture, and we dutifully sampled the aforementioned waffles, chocolates, and beer, enjoying the laissez-faire attitude of the cafes where we could seemingly sit all day long lazily watching fellow tourists. There are two delicious types of waffles offered here, Brussels and Liege styles, the former rectangular with a light golden brown exterior and deep divots like those we eat at home, dusted in confectioner's sugar and often served with strawberries. Liege, in contrast, are denser with an irregular shape, coated with caramelized sugar and therefore crispy and crunchy. Both are served warm by myriad street vendors. Belgium's chocolate notoriety began with the creation of the Praline in 1912 by Jean Newhouse, founder of the iconic Newhouse Chocolatier. Only natural products are employed. The differences in flavor created by adjusting the amounts of sugar and cocoa in the chocolate mixtures with no artificial assistance permitted. Inhaling the sweet aroma at countless shops, we sampled handmade pralines along with marzipans derived from a paste of finely blanched ground almonds mixed with egg white and sugar. We also tried some tasty cookies called speculus, slightly brown, short-crusted and crunchy, stamped with images of St. Nicholas and part of the gingerbread family with cinnamon, brown sugar, clover, butter and other spices added. Ours were dipped in chocolate. Yum! We observed mussels, the national dish, almost on every noontime cafe table, fresh from the North Sea and served in a large steaming pot of savory broth, often with a side of Belgian frites and homemade mayonnaise. One cannot forget Belgian beer while in Brussels. In Belgium, the word café has two meanings. Coffee, the drink you enjoy in the morning, at home or at the office, or the establishment where you order one, known as a café. Although Belgians are coffee drinkers, their cafés are known first and foremost for serving draft beer. Belgians love their beer, drinking 80 liters of the beverage a year. Contrary to popular belief, beer is foremost a woman's business because women were responsible for gathering while men went out hunting. The women boiled wild grasses and grains into a substantial meal. Legend has it that one day they let their mixture cool in the open air, and spontaneous fermentation took place with beer coming into being. At that time, it was the wild yeasts from the surrounding air that seeded the mixture and initiated alcoholic fermentation. For several millennia, brewers relied on this process to make their liquid bread. Down through the centuries, beer remained an important part of the people's diets because it was seen as a healthy drink and a staple food. Beer was the drink of the people, wine that of nobility, although some noblemen such as Charles V were great fans of ice-cold beer. So it was to be found everywhere, although different methods of brewing were practiced. The early Gauls made beer production a family concern. Brewing was generally done at home, following a recipe that was handed down by word of mouth from generation to generation. Consumption was in the family circle, so there was very little marketing of this beverage then. 
Over the course of the centuries that followed, each village had its own public brewery. Monasteries also began to produce it to meet the needs of their own community. Beer began to be consumed in large quantities and became the subject of extensive marketing. For centuries, the Brussels Brewers Guild, founded in 1365, assumed a position of importance. Brewers were usually powerful and wealthy because our ancestors drank up to three times more beer than we do. In the 17th century, that consumption could be as much as 400 liters per person. But our ancestors were not alcoholics. In order to brew beer, it was necessary to boil water, which kills germs. That's why, at the time, the people of Brussels used to prefer beer to water. Beer was better for health than unboiled water. Secondary fermentation in the bottle is a technique that wasn't developed until as late as the 17th century. Prior to that, people used to drink flat beers, similar to British ales. These beers posed a problem because they were difficult to store and transport. In those days, the sector was not organized into large production units, but into a whole host of small breweries known as Camin in Flemish. Each inn had to purchase its supplies from one cam, the old Flemish word for breweries. How important the breweries were for Brussels is found in the many street names that refer to them. Rue de Brasseur, Brewer Street, Rue du Houplon, Hop Street, and Rue de la Bray, Wart Street. What's more, quite a few of them correspond to the names of inns on those streets. A good example is the Rue du Miroir, with the Auberge de Miroir, or inn, on the corner of Rue Haute. The French Revolution had sweeping ramifications for the beer sector. Not only did this fractious period in history see the guilds abolished 1792 to 1794 in favor of private initiative, a lot of monasteries were dissolved to boot. In the early 18th century, Brussels numbered no less than 120 artisanal breweries. By 1806, only 29 were left. As the industrialization of the beer sector more or less coincided with the popularity of bottom-fermented ales, it was the pills lagers more than any other types of beer that did a roaring trade for the breweries. In spite of the fact that Belgian brewers set out the full range of their wares at the 1959 World Exhibition held in Brussels that year, things started going downhill for the Belgian breweries. The rise in commodity prices, hefty labor costs, soaring taxes and excise duties, all of these factors contributed to the mergers of the 1960s and the brewery closures during the economic downturn of the 1970s. Between 1965 and 1973, the number of breweries fell by 30%. By the end of the 1970s, three-quarters of the nation's beer production was in the hands of just seven breweries. Today we are seeing a great revival of interest in special beers in all things natural, traditional, and handmade. Lots of new small-scale artisanal enterprises are being put in place in Flanders and Wallonia alike. There are actually beer museums in Brussels. At the Goose Museum, Cantillon Brewery, one may discover a brewing tradition that's unrivaled anywhere in the world. A Lambic brewery from 1900 still working run by a family of master brewers who are proud of its tradition and products. Mainly period equipment, casks of lambic, creek, 
and framboisois small cellars where bottles of Guise Creek and Lambic Grand Cru patiently await their debut at the tables of appreciative consumers. Brewing vats and boiling kettles made of copper, a granary and a large cooling tank with Brussels air flowing over it, filtering and bottling equipment, all will be revealed during your visit. You will savor the delicious smells of lambic beer evaporating from the casks in which the lambics mature for three long years. The Van Roy Cantillon family will give you a warm welcome and explain the mysteries behind the production of traditional lambic beer. The Cherbeek Beer Museum was established in 1993 by 11 enthusiastic volunteers. The local authorities of Sherbeek allowed them to use the old, disused technical section of the school on Rue de la Ruche. One founding member loaned his collection of around 300 bottles of Belgian beers to the museum. This was the starting point for the museum's collection, and from then on the search began among breweries, second-hand dealers, and private individuals for machinery, tools, documents, advertising objects, bottles, glasses, etc., on the 26th of March, 1994, the museum was officially opened, and last year, Bicois, beer was presented to the public. Today, the museum has a collection of more than 1,000 bottles of Belgian beers, many of them accompanied by the corresponding glass for serving them. Old machinery, which was used to make the beer, Cooper's tools, signs, trays, various advertising objects, old documents, and more from breweries still in existence and those that have since vanished. Finally, in the Museum of Belgian Brewers, you'll find the rich tradition of Belgian beer. There, visitors can see all the utensils, the brewing and fermentation vats, the cauldrons, and all the brewing equipment used in the 18th century. In the quaint Estemet, small old-style cafe bar, Memories from long ago are recalled, old tankards, antique porcelain, and typical objects filling a period in testify to what can undoubtedly be described as the Belgian culture of beer. Visitors will have the opportunity to grasp at a glance all of the modern techniques used to make beer. The raw materials, water, malt, hops, yeast, the present-day malting industry, the brewing room where the information technology is in perfect harmony, with the brewer's own skills, the new filtering and cooling techniques, the most efficient bottling lines, and the lagering and fermentation vats. After looking around, visitors will have the opportunity to soak up the traditional warm and welcoming atmosphere so closely connected with beer as they savor a complimentary Belgian beer from the brewers served up in the estaminet. For us, Brussels was a wonderful side trip and a gourmet's delight one of the stops on our AMA Waterways Tulip Cruise, exploring cities in Belgium and the Netherlands. To read my travel articles, go to my website at www.whattravelwriterssay.com. And for travel pictures, go to my Pinterest boards at www.pinterest.com backslash mustang6648 backslash. If you have any questions or comments, contact me at mjk. 6648 at gmail.com. We conclude each podcast with an appropriate travel quote. Today it's from American S. Barry Lipkin, who said, Travel is educational. It teaches you how to get rid of money in a hurry. Thanks for listening. Happy travels, and tune in next week for another What Travel Writers Say podcast. <music>